Uh, we are, have been looking at confidence and having confidence in our salvation, and uh, we're going to be continuing that today and then finishing up next week, and we've been talking about abiding in Him last week and what that means as a fruit or a proof of my salvation. And uh, we're going to pray before we get started today, and uh, pray that the Lord would have His way in each of our classes, uh, that His Word would go forth. And uh, we heard last week how the Word has to be mixed with faith for something to happen. And so it's not just the, the Word has power. You don't have to pray for the Word of the Lord to be anointed, to have power. Uh, you don't have to do that. What I need to concentrate on is, is my heart ready to receive the Word? That's the same in every class. The Word of God can go forth today, and it's possible for everyone to leave unchanged. You do not have to leave this place different than the way you came in. You can leave exactly the same. It's what the Word and my faith mixed together does. So I want my faith to be enacted today. I want it to be mixed with the Word, and I want it to do something in my life. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we come before you. Lord, we're thankful and honored and privileged to be in your presence, to be in your house today, gathered together with each other. And Lord, during this Sunday school hour, I ask you, Lord, that you would anoint and touch every teacher. You see uh, the preparation, the work that's gone in, and Lord, we know it's not our efforts that do it, but it's, it's your anointing, your power. And Lord, that you would just put a special anointing on every teacher today, that you would anoint our ears to receive your word with gladness, Lord, that it would, a seed would be planted in our hearts that would take root, God. And I believe that your word is here to do a work to change and transform. We thank you and give you praise today in Jesus' name. So confidence in my salvation, we're going to do a, a very quick review, I'm not going to spend a long time on it, but just uh, to remind us of what we've talked about a little bit. We've looked at um, the whole idea of having the confidence in my salvation that there's proofs or there's evidences uh, that, that let me know that I can have confidence in my salvation so that I can confidently answer somebody when they ask me for the hope that's in me, I can tell them why I have this hope. And hopefully at some point in my life, I could, as Paul say, follow me as I follow Christ. And uh, we've looked at a few different areas. We've talked about walking in the light, that that is a proof of my salvation. When I walk in the light, what's my habit? Do I typically uh, walk in the light or do I typically walk in darkness? We talked about loving a brother and what that involves. And we've been hearing about that in Sunday school and our main services, loving a brother, what that means. And that if I don't Love my brother which I have seen, how can I love a God which I have not seen? And then last week uh, we've talked about, uh, last week we talked about, started this about abiding in Him. And this, this involves because First John mentions and he talks about keeping His commandments. This is tied in in abiding with Him if I keep His commandments, if I do what He says in His Word. And so we also change this question of abiding in Him. We ask the question, that wasn't a question, we didn't change it, but we ask the question, What's your address? Where do you live? Where do you dwell? If you will, where do you abide? What's your place of security? What's your place of comfort? What's your place of protection? And there are certain things that I should make my address that I should dwell in. We looked at three of them last week, and we're going to look at three of them this week as well. The first one that we talked about was the Word of God. I want to dwell in the Word of God. I want my address to be found in the Word of God. And John admonishes us to keep the things which we have heard from the beginning. And we talked about that, that one of those is the Word of God. That it was the Word that started the reason why I'm sitting here today. Whether it was from 
uh, the voice of a preacher, whether it was from reading the Word of God, whether it was uh, uh, God speaking to us in some way, it was the Word that started everything. You cannot come to God unless the Spirit draws you and the Spirit and the Word uh, work together in unity. So the Word of God is what started this, and if it started it, then I want to remain in it. When times hit, I want to be found in the Word of God. When, when things begin to happen, I know that my security and my comfort can be in the Word of God. And I know there's many here that have experienced that where, where you've opened the Word of God and all of a sudden it just speaks to you. It could be a verse you've read uh, a, a number of times before and all of a sudden it just speaks to your situation, to your attitude, to your spirit at that moment. That's what I want in my life is found in the Word of God. Another thing that I need to realize, and John mentions the things uh, that we had from the beginning, and, and that is faith. Faith mixed with the Word is what started this journey. And I need to dwell in faith. I need to realize that my faith mixed with the Word is how I was saved. It was the Word that said, uh, uh, we find the question asked in Acts chapter 2, what must I do to be saved? And the Word gives us the answer. However, that's not enough to save me. My faith must be enacted with repentance, with being baptized. It's my faith which allows me to be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's important for us to realize that, that without faith, that's just a bunch of actions. Do you realize if you get baptized and don't have faith, that's called a bath? <laughs> a public bath and a green robe that we have. <laughs> but that's all it is. It is not the act of going under the water. That, that, that's not what saves you. That is part of it, but it must be mixed with my faith. If I go under the water, that, <laughs> well, how many ever baptized someone in the swimming pool before? <laughs> I baptize my kids all the time in the pool because they need it daily. <laughs> but that's not the same thing, okay? Just because I go underwater and am immersed does not mean that that is part of the salvation process because I must have faith for it to work. And so I need to realize that if my faith was good enough to save me, it's good enough to keep me through every trial, every circumstance, everything that comes against me. I've got to keep and continue to dwell in faith. That's where my security, that's where my strength is found, is in my faith. And the last thing we looked at last week was that we should dwell in unity. And there is a strength that comes only from unity. We read how in Ecclesiastes it talks about a twofold and a threefold cord. It's not easily broken. There's a strength that comes only in unity. We read in Acts where when they got in one mind in one accord, suddenly a sound was heard from heaven. That's what I want to hear today is a sound heard from heaven. And that's not going to happen if we're not in one accord. That's why it's important. Well, <laughs> unity means that there may have to be some compromise on my part. We talked about that. Same thing in a marriage. For there to be unity, there's going to have to be some compromise on both ends for it to work. But the strength that I receive from unity, despite the fact that I may have to compromise my opinions and what I think and what I feel, despite that fact, there is going to be a strength greater that comes from the unity than, than, than anything that I would have lost in the compromise. I need to understand that. That the strength I gained from unity is greater than anything I could do by myself. And this week we're going to finish looking at where I should be dwelling or where my address is, looking at three more areas about how I can abide in Him. I've got to cough again. <coughs> Maybe I'll take a drink. 
just get it all out of the way at once. There we go. So, three things that we're going to look at today. They are closely related, but there's a slight difference between them all. But the first thing that I want to look at today is my, where my address needs to be, a place I need to dwell, is in praise. I need to make my home in praise. You know what? If I want to have confidence in my salvation, my praise is an indicator of my confidence in my salvation. That's very important. Now, I understand, I'll say this from the outset. I understand that God does a unique work inside each and every one of us. Okay, God, God did something different to me than He did to you. I'm not talking about uh, speaking in tongues or that aspect, but there was things in me that had to change that was different than what happened in you. God had to work in my heart and life uh, different than He had to work in yours because I had different issues. No issues anymore. Aren't you glad about that? <laughs> Took care of them all. So, so there's, there's, if you want to say it this way, there's things that I praise God for that are different than what you praise God for. Does that make sense? Because He did different things in my life. And so I understand that, that there's different things that we praise Him for. And also when I say praise, I'm just speaking of praise and worship in general. I'm not drawing a line on that and the differences of that. But when I, when I praise Him, it, it, it's unique to what He did to me. And so I understand as well that how I praise may be unique. And so this is not about judging each other's praise because my praise is unique. Because what he did in me is unique. And so while I do agree there should be a physical manifestation in my praise, it may not be the same as the person next to me or down the road from me. However, there should be praise in my life. If there is no praise, um, well, there's something wrong. (laughs) That's all there is to it. Because Scripture tells us that He's done a lot for us. My life, when I wake up in the morning, I know that He's done a lot for me. And if I can't conjure up a little bit of praise in my life, I don't know. Psalm chapter 147, 1 says, Praise ye the Lord, for it is, a, it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praise is comely. Psalms 33, 1 says something similar. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely. For the upright. Now that word comely, it means beautiful or suitable. So it makes you look beautiful when you praise the Lord. Don't, here's, here we go, here we go. You're going to get this for free. I'm going to trademark this. I'm going to sell it on uh, QVC or something. I'm gonna, this is how I'm going to get rich. You don't need a diet, you just need praise. There we go. Or that maybe I need to work on that just a little bit. That might not sell too good. But there's the secret. If you, it, it says praise is beautiful for the righteous. It's suitable. It does something to the person. But behind that word comely also has the idea of a habitation or a dwelling place. That praise is a dwelling. Praise is a habitation. It's somewhere that I live. I, I need to understand that praise should feel like home to me. I should not be uncomfortable when people begin praising the Lord because it is a natural part of where I should be if I am saved. <laughs> praise should provide a comfort in my life. Praise should provide a protection. Let me just explain. I pause sometimes because of all the thoughts going through my head and I'm trying to filter some way through them. That's what I was just doing. 
But praise should provide a comfort in my life. It should provide a protection in my life. When there's praise going on, there should be a sense of security in the middle of my circumstances because I understand that praise is a safe place. I need to understand that my praise is just not something that I do because Scripture tells me, but because my praise is also beautiful to Him. My dwelling place is beautiful to Him when it's in praise. We find in the tabernacle, we find there was the altar of incense, and it's representative of my praise, a symbol of that. And it says that it raised a sweet savor to the Lord. I need to understand that my praise is not just something I need to do because Scripture commands it, but that my praise actually pleases the Lord. It's pleasant to Him. Incense was offered every morning and every night and was left to burn during the day as there was to be a perpetual savor of praise in the holy place. I, I need to let there be a continual praise simmering in my heart and spirit in the same way. There's a song I like. In fact, it came on my uh, uh, computer today. Uh, His praise will ever be on my lips. I will bless the Lord at all times. This is the attitude I'm supposed to have. Now, does that mean I have to walk around or run around like it's an aisle or walk around with my hands lifted up all the time? No, but in my spirit, I should be comfortable having praise in my heart at all times. I need to understand that that's pleasing to God. The incense burden was specifically for that altar. They made a certain incense that was just for that altar of incense. And Scripture tells us in the Old Testament that it was not to be made outside of the tabernacle or for any other use. I want to just warn you, you need to be careful what you begin to praise in your life. (laughs) Because there's an incense of praise that should only be offered to God. And bad things happen when it began to be turned onto other things. In fact, it should not be turned on to other things. There should be something reserved in my spirit that I do not give to anything else except to God and worship. Now, it's interesting. We find something that happens in the story of Noah because praise, you know, we think, well, just praising God is something good. It's pleasant. But I want you to see these verses in Genesis. Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord. And I don't know why they didn't ever... They just didn't build them. They always builded them. And took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. So we find here this story of Noah. He gets off the boat. And uh, he builds an altar and begins to worship God. He worships God for his provision, for his protection, for keeping his family safe, uh, for for allowing them to get off the boat finally. He begins to thank the Lord. And all of a sudden, as he begins to worship and praise God, it says a sweet savor. The Lord smelled something beginning to happen. Now again, this is not a physical smelling that the Lord smelt the actual burnt offering. But the praise offered up this savor to the Lord and the Lord smelled it. And something happened when God began to smell that savor. It wasn't just that it was a pleasing thing, but it caused him to begin to converse with himself in his heart. Uh, Scripture says he takes counsel with no man except himself. So he begins to counsel in himself. And we find that a decision is made to never destroy the earth again, to not curse the earth, and to not destroy every living thing. God makes a decision based upon the praise of Noah. 
Now I want you to understand that. The circumstances at this point were that, were that God could do whatever he wanted. He saw that man was evil. It says in that verse, I know that man is evil from his youth. And so if he wanted to destroy the earth, he could destroy the earth. And he had just done that. But because of the praise of Noah, God changed his mind. God made a declaration in that situation. I wonder what would happen in your situation, in my situation, if we began to praise the Lord and all of a sudden a savor begins to come to the Lord. What God would begin to counsel in his own heart about your life, about your situation. <clears throat> you see, it's not just that praise is pleasing to God, but praise affects the heart of God. That's what began to happen. I, 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 there's nothing I would like more than to come in this place and begin to worship and God's heart be stirred by my praise for Him today. You know what, if you're in the middle of a circumstance, in the middle of a situation, if you're confused, if you don't know what to do, if you're at your wit's end, then I would challenge you today to begin to praise the Lord at some point in this service. It may not be like anyone else is doing it. It may be in your own way. Well, that's the best way to do it is in your own way. But I would challenge you to begin to praise the Lord. And who knows what will stir in the heart of God today? Who knows what He may say to your situation today? <clears throat> Praise changes things, even the mind of God. Now, I don't praise Him to change His mind. <laughs> you know, that happens with your kids. You become all, all, all uh, the greatest thing ever when they need, or they need something, when they need it, when they want something. You become the greatest thing ever. I don't praise the Lord just to change His mind. But who knows what may happen when I begin to praise and worship Him. We often think of praise, this story is a good thing as well, because a lot of times when we speak of praise, we think of praise in bad times, and horrible times, and I'm going to worship my way through it. But you know what? It's good for us to praise the Lord at all times. You know what? Uh, I keep saying, you know what? <clears throat> you know what? I keep saying, you know what? Uh, I, I, and I'll take, I'll take blame for this too. A lot of times we come into church, and we just assume that this past week has been the worst week of everyone's life. You ever notice that? Because we always start out by saying, it doesn't matter if your week's been horrible this week. Not everyone's had a bad week this week. I mean, this wasn't a particularly bad week. I mean, I'd, some things could have been different, but I, wouldn't, I didn't walk in this place saying, man, what a horrible week I've had. Sometimes I come into the house of the Lord, and, well, and we just get depressed here. Well, anyway... But it's alright to just walk in like Noah. He was just thankful. He was just grateful for what had taken place. It's all, you don't have to just worship when you're depressed. You can come into the house of the Lord and it's been an alright week. It could have been the greatest week of your life. It's alright all right to offer praise to God in the good times. <laughs> that seems a little obvious to say, but sometimes it, it just needs said. I already mentioned it, Psalms 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That means in the good times and the bad times, no matter what's taking place, His praise is the constant. No matter my circumstance, my dwelling place is praise. If it's good, if it's bad, if it's just in between, I'm dwelling in praise in my life. I want you to make another note uh, a note of another connection the psalmist makes. In Psalms 29, he says, Give unto the Lord, and I don't know why I felt to go this way, but hey, I'll just throw that out there and then we'll move on. But I want you to know that there's this connection the psalmist makes. He says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. First Chronicles 16 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord 
in the beauty of holiness? How do I let his praise continually be in my mouth? How do I bless the Lord at all times? Yes, there's an attitude of my spirit, but I would venture to say that there's a way that I can worship the Lord continually, and it has more to do uh, with my holiness than my words. I want you to understand that there's a worship and a praise that comes from my holiness. There's a beauty that's found in holiness, and I want you to understand that holiness should not just be a list of things that I should and shouldn't do, or I'm not allowed to do this or not allowed to do that, but understand that my holiness is worship to God. That changes how I think about holiness. Because it's not just a list all of a sudden. It's not just something that that it's have and have and I can and can't do. It's now something that I am offering to God that is a sweet savor to Him. It's worship because I'm trying to reflect the image of the holy God that I serve. They say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Then what greater flattery could there be to a holy God than to be holy in my own life? I understand that holiness is not simply following rules. Although scripture states that I should, there's certain things that I should do, but it's about worshiping a holy God. So my attitude is worship to God. My love and how I treat others is a worship to God. Controlling my anger is not just something that I'm supposed to do. No, it is worship to God. Modesty is a worship to God. Scripture talks about having cut and uncut hair. I need to understand that's not just a regulation, but it's about a worship to God. Dressing appropriately according to my sex is not just something that the church does but it's about a worship to God I want praise to be my dwelling place in everything that I do I want praise to be something familiar in my life I want praise to be something that I find rest and security in in my life I want my home to be in praise another place that I need to find my dwelling place is in his altars I want my address to be his altar. Psalms 84 verses 1 through 3 say to the chief, well we won't read that part. How, I don't care who it's to, no. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house. I don't know if he's just excited. Yay, the sparrow's found a house. And the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. We find here uh, the psalmist is longing and crying out for something. And we discover in verse 3 that what he is longing for is a home, and specifically that his home is in the Lord's altars. He compares the altars to a place where a bird would make their nest, and Uh, A a lot of times a bird will look for uh, uh, making a nest in a place that's out of the way or secure or a sheltered place. You know, you look up in your downspouts and in that little bit where it goes like that, they like to get up in there or inside the eaves or places where there's a little bit of shelter and security. And this is how the psalmist views the altars of God. That this should not be a place of fear. The altar is not a place of fear, but the altar is a place of comfort. Insecurity. His altars speak of a place of sacrifice, a place of change. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because uh, I may preach about the altars of the Lord, so I'm just giving you the scraps from that. No, just joking. But his altars speak of a place of sacrifice, 
a place of change. Whenever you look in Scripture at when altars were built, there was something that happened. We read about where Noah built an altar. Something happened. They got off the boat. Something monumental. You find when, when an encounter with God happened that uh, uh, very often an altar would be built. Yet despite the fact that transformation and change take place, which leave us uncomfortable, there's very few people who like change. And even those who uh, say they do will just change some things and pretty soon you'll realize they don't really. <laughs> How many of you are pretty regular creatures of habit? You know, you kind of have to do the same thing, and do it the same way. Uh, you know, uh, you find yourself, if, if one thing gets slightly off, you'll just continue to uh, uh, do it until you realize that something's not quite right. You know, I have to put my wallet in one place with this and then my key, I have to put everything in the same place or else... Uh, uh, if it's not there, it's lost. That's all there is to it. <laughs> you know, I've said before, I used to go down when we lived in an apartment, I'd, I'd have my keys in my hand and the bag of trash to go to the dumpster. And uh, it wasn't my typical routine to go to the dumpster and throw the trash away. It was typically my routine to go out and go to the car. And so I'd go to the dumpster, which was out of my routine. I wouldn't be thinking, I'd just throw it in. And I don't know how many times I had to get in the dumpster and get my keys out of there too. I just throw it all in, not even thinking. But the, so the altar, though, is a, is a place of change. And that leaves us uncomfortable. And yet, I wouldn't be at the point in my life where the altar is my dwelling place. Where even though it's a place that's not really the most comfortable, I still have peace in the fact, and this is how I can have peace in the middle of change, is that I know who is doing the changing, and I know why. He's trying to change me. You see, that makes a difference. He's not just changing my life. He's not just trying to mold me just because he's bored that day. Well, he just needs shaking up a little. He just, he's been, no, there's a, I know who is doing it. It's God, so I can trust him. And I also know why he's doing it. Because scripture tells me that when he changes me, that when he's molding me, it's for my good. It's for my perfecting. It's so I can be saved. It's so I can be molded in his image. And so even though the altar, when I come to the altar and I'm convicted and I lift my hands, sometimes I'm not really looking forward to the challenge, to the change, to the transformation because it's different. It's going to do something to me, yet I can still trust him because I know that he is doing it for my good, that he is trying to do something within me. I want the altar to be a place that's my home. It's such a place of familiarity, I find this interesting. It's such a place of comfort. Notice we're not just talking about a physical altar, but the idea of sacrifice. The idea of changing in my life. That, that it's such a place that I'm familiar with and a comfort. That he, he likens it to a nest where a bird feels comfortable enough leaving their young. Let me just say that if you're uncomfortable with the altar, if you're uncomfortable with sacrifices that God calls you to, if you're uncomfortable with changes that God leads you towards, let me just say then your kids are going to struggle to make it a home too. If your kids don't ever see sacrifice in your life, then they're going to struggle to make sacrifices in their own. If they don't ever see that the Word of God that His Word doesn't really transform your life, they're going to struggle to let it transform their own life. I want the altar to be a place 
that it's not just where I'm comfortable, but I'm comfortable to leave my children there as well. I want the altar to be a place that's my home. The last address that we're going to look at is found in Psalms as well. Place that I dwell. These are proofs of my salvation that praise is a part of my life. A proof of my salvation is I'm still willing to come to an altar, to a place of change, to a place of transformation. The last thing we're going to look at, the last address is, ah, this is a good one, the secret place. I can make it whatever I want. (laughs) It's the secret place. Psalm chapter 91 and verse 1, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now in Scripture we find this term, the secret place, is used uh, very often, well not very often, but it's used several times, and when it's used, most often it's used in reference to the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and in the temple. It's referred to as the secret place. And it speaks to the manifest presence of God and His glory. Now we need to understand that there's a difference between the presence of God and the manifest presence of God. We know that the Lord is everywhere. He's everywhere. So you know what? No matter where I go, guess what? I'm in His presence. Everyone today, no matter where they are, it doesn't matter if they're sitting on a bar stool or sitting in the church, is in the presence of God. So we need to understand that fact, if He's everywhere. So understanding that His presence is everywhere, that no one can escape His presence, we need to understand that His manifest presence is not everywhere. We find that God manifests Himself in a burning bush to Moses. He manifests His presence on Mount Sinai in the wilderness when He came with uh, uh, clouds and, and, and thunder and lightning. In fact, the greatest manifestation we know was through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. While we may, not rece- while we may receive a, a, a physical manifestation like these things, there are moments when we do, however, spiritually sense Him stronger. We feel His presence sweeping through like waves. And you've been in, in times and services or different places where you felt that it was, you can't say it was more than just His presence, but all of a sudden His presence was manifest in that place. And all of a sudden something changed. It's not that there was more God. Can there be more God than Him being everywhere? No, but there was a manifest presence that happened. People describe it as an energy. There's such an energy. But we know that it's the presence of the Lord manifesting. Understanding that God's presence is no stronger here than anywhere else, but He may choose to manifest Himself here, which is the difference. I'm praying that He manifests Himself today. That's how we leave different. David speaks of this prophetically. He speaks of a secret place. He speaks of the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. Now understand, how, how is he talking about he that dwelleth in the secret place? Because the secret place is not a place that you can dwell in the Old Testament. We know that. We know that only one person once a year ever entered that place. How can you dwell in a place that is the most secluded place in all of Judaism? How can you dwell there? David is speaking prophetically of a time when we can, but I believe that he was also speaking of it experientially in the spiritual sense. The New Testament tells us, and, and we know that the law was set up by God. And when we read the New Testament, very often we look back and say how evil the law was, but never forgetting that the law was put in place by God. 
And the law was not there to keep men from God, but it was there to lead them to Him. However, it was an imperfect teacher is what the New Testament says. Very few people found God in a real way in the Old Testament. But I believe that David did discover a path into not the physical Holy of Holies, but into that place that we recognize today as the Holy of Holies. While not physically allowed in there, and and while he did not have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, I believe he experienced personally what takes place in the Holy of Holies. And he makes this statement about dwelling in the presence, the manifest presence of God. He makes this statement about dwelling in the glory of God. He states that when I dwell in that most holy of places, in His glory, that now I am also under the shadow of the Almighty. The shadow of the Almighty speaks to something which provides a defense. Just a shadow. Aren't you glad that you serve a God who is so powerful that just His shadow is a defense in my life? That when I dwell in that secret place, when I enter into that secret place, the Holy of Holies, where His glory dwells, that same glory that He died for so that I might have access to Him. You see, we we understand that the Holy of Holies is simply me coming into the presence of God, into His manifest presence, into His glory, and I can do that whenever and wherever I want. But David doesn't say, I just want to have access into the glory of God. He says, I want to dwell in that place. Now see, that makes a big difference in my life because there's a lot of times in my life when I can see that, you know what, I've just had access. I've gone in there, I've experienced His glory a little bit, I've left saying, man, what a service, man, what a prayer time, man, that was wonderful. But David says, I don't want to just go in and out of the glory of God. I want to make that my dwelling place. I want to dwell in the secret place. In essence, it no longer became a secret to him. You see, that's the thing, is is that we still, (laughs) when it's a place that we're not at continually, it seems like some mystical thing. And I don't believe that that it should be some mystical thing in our life, that we're seeking for some magical, mystical place that, that all of a sudden God is just so much greater. No, God said that we have access into that place whenever we want. And David says, not just access, but we can dwell in that place. I don't only need to experience His presence and, and His glory I, I, on occasions, but I need to dwell in that place. And it tells me that when I dwell there, I'll receive protection from evil in in my life, that I will dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. While I, how many ever prayed for protection in your life before? We've prayed for protection before, but let me just tell you, I can pray for protection, or this verse tells me where I'm guaranteed to find protection in my life. Think about that. What if, what if instead of praying for His protection, I suddenly begin to make my dwelling place in His glory, and that's a guarantee that comes with it when I dwell in the secret place. Psalms 27 says, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle. That's the same place. Shall he hide me? He shall set me upon a rock. I find a place to hide in. I find strength, security, rest, shelter from the storm, from evil, when I begin to dwell in his glory. Psalms 57 1 says, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. Until these calamities be overpassed. We find again the psalmist saying, In his shadow, that's where I want to be. Isaiah 4. 
And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night for upon all the glory shall be a defense and there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a covert from storm and from rain. It tells us in verse 5 that, that, his, that the glory shall be a defense. <laughs> now... <laughs> Well, anyway, should I say, should I get into that or not? I'll just throw it out there. And if you want to throw it in the trash and delete it from the CD, then that's fine with you. I've preached about the blood before and I've preached about what the blood can do before. But I don't find in Scripture anywhere where the blood protects me from calamity. In the sense that a lot of us use it many times. We say, and it's a, it's a, familiar, it, it's a common phrase that is said, that I plead the blood. And I say that in a sense of over a person. That's not technically scriptural. When I plead the blood, it is a term of intercession. When the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and he put the blood on the mercy seat, he was pleading for the souls of everybody out there that sin would not fall on them, that God's mercy would be enacted. And so when I pray for somebody, for their soul, I am pleading the blood. That's technically how I do it. Because I'm praying for mercy. Okay? Nowhere do I find scripturally. In fact, in scripture it says, what do I do to protect myself? Paul tells us, you put on the whole armor of God. There's a defense against the enemy. I don't find in scripture where the actual blood is a defense against the, in that sense that a lot of times we use it. The blood obviously does a work. It does many things, and I've preached about it before. But I do find here where it says that His glory shall be a defense for me. I wonder sometimes if we get so, we just get a little, we get so caught up in different things and, and it's important for us to understand what is happening scripturally. He says that His glory shall be a defense. If I want defense in my life, if I want that hedge of protection in me in my life, if I want it over my kids to keep them safe at school, I need to get into His glory. Let me tell you what, it's a whole lot easier for me to say the words and a devotion before my kids leave for school, I plead the blood, than for me to take the time to get into His glory to provide the defense that they need. Does that make sense? It's an easy way out. But I want to have access, I want to make my dwelling place, I told you you could throw it away if you don't like it, there you go. Might have, might have caused a few of the feathers in the nest of the altars to be ruffled, who knows. But upon, it's in His glory that I'm going to find my defense. And He says, in, in, in the daytime, I'm going to find protection from heat. I'm going to find a place of refuge. And when there's storms, when there's rain, I'm going to find a covert from that. Psalms 36 says, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. I put my trust in that there. Psalms 140, Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. I want my dwelling to be in that manifest presence of God. The Holy of Holies was where the blood was applied to the mercy seat. It was where forgiveness was sought, where forgiveness could be found. It was where mercy was extended based on the blood sacrifice. We know that the blood of Jesus was applied to the mercy seat in heaven. And it took away the need for any other sacrifice to ever be needed again. His blood was enough to cover me eternally. 
Think about that. His blood was enough, not just for my life to be covered eternally, but for all mankind to be covered eternally. Mercy was extended to the undeserving. That's you and I. We're undeserving. If we were deserving, we would not need His mercy, but we were undeserving, so I need His mercy because you and I were debtors owing something that we could never repay. When I dwell in the secret place, I find myself not just dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty, but actually my dwelling place is in mercy. And I don't know about you, but I need His mercy in my life. The secret place is where mercy dwells. James chapter 2 and verse 13. I'm, I'm finishing up here. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. For he, for he shall have judgment without mercy that has shown no mercy. It says if you don't show mercy, you're not going to have mercy, first of all. If I'm dwelling in the secret place, I'm living in mercy, so I'm going to be showing mercy. Well, perhaps that's something else we could talk about. One of my proofs of salvation is that I'm not dwelling in unforgiveness. But anyway, and then it says, and mercy rejoiceth or triumphs against judgment. I need to understand that when I dwell in the secret place in his mercy, that Satan suddenly can bring no accusation against me that will ever stick. Because mercy triumphs against judgment. In the secret place, the place of mercy, all of a sudden when I'm in His holy of holies, guilt and shame disappear. Not because I shouldn't have them, but because of His mercy. Judgment is trying to tell me you should be guilty. You should have shame in your life. But His mercy holds those back. Judgment seeks to bring the weight of sin into my life. It tries to bring my past into my life and say, look at all you've done. Look at who you were. You're nothing. You're nobody. Nothing can be done with your life. The weight of shame is brought into my life, and I can't even approach the altar hardly anymore. That's what judgment tries to do. But this verse tells me that mercy rejoices or triumphs against judgment. The accuser of the brethren wants nothing more than to remind you of what you really deserve in your life. That's what he wants to do. And it's, it works because you know it. You know what you deserve in your life. You don't deserve the love of God. You don't deserve the love of some people even sitting around you because you know what you've done in your life. And that's what judgment is telling you. But in the secret place, I dwell in mercy. And mercy always triumphs. Mercy says, I know you don't deserve it, but you're in the merciful place. And so it's extended to us. When I'm in the secret place, shame tries, it tries to come at me. But in the secret place, mercy holds shame out because that goes with judgment. It gives me what I don't deserve in my life, mercy. And I know I'm going to need mercy more in my life. Mercy me. I think I'll start a group called that. I could only imagine what it would be like. Whew, man. It's a secret place. But I want to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. It's not just about protection from evil, but it gives me mercy from the consequences and judgment of evil. See, when I abide in Him, here's the amazing thing as we close. We've been talking about abiding in Him. Scripture gives us this uh, crazy correlation that the more I abide in Him, the more He abides in me. That doesn't really make sense. How do you abide in something while it uh, abides in you? That's kind of an odd deal. But I know that He abides in me through the Holy Ghost. That He is in me. And that the more I abide in Him, the closer and closer I become to Him. 
I want there to be a proof of my salvation, and it can be found in my address, and that I abide in Him. In Him, there's praise. I want my address to be praise. I want His altars, His place of change, His place of sacrifice to be something that I'm not afraid to visit in my life. I don't like it, but I want to keep going there. And I want to find my dwelling place in the secret place of the Most High. The place where mercy can be found, the place where forgiveness can be found, because I know I'm going to need it in my life. If I want protection in my life, I want His glory to be my protection, my defense. What greater defense could there be in my life? I want us to stand this morning. Perhaps praise has slipped a little. Perhaps the altar is not something that needs visited as much in your life, it seems. Perhaps the glory place is just something that you know is there but don't access. I want us to pray in closing that the Lord would challenge us. If we need a a rekindling in us, Lord, challenge me to enter into your glory. That's the amazing thing is that um, He does not pull us into His glory. There's access. The, the Scripture tells us where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And there's access here today. Those are just statements that are there. There's, you know what? Today in this service, uh, as the verse says, prison doors will be opened today. There, there will be chains that will be taken off. There will be deliverance here. But that doesn't mean that just because the door is open that the person is going to walk through it. Liberty is here. Freedom is here. Like that's just how it is. Just in the same way that there's access to the Holy of Holies. There's access into His glory today. That's just how it is. But whether we enter, whether we experience is completely up to us because you and I have freedom of will. And so today it's not about if I hear the right song if they pray long enough, if that, if I, that, no, it's about a choice today. Do I choose to access His glory today? And I pray that you would choose that today. I, cho- I pray that you would choose praise today because that helps us gain access to His glory. I pray that you would choose His altars today. I pray that you would choose His glory today and make those your dwelling place. I want us to pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we come before you.